You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 96. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Welcome back. It is an honor and a privilege once again to have you here for an episode. Uh, it's a little odd right now because I'm on camera. I am doing this on my Instagram live on the From Sobriety to Recovery account. So if you've ever wanted to see me actually shoot a podcast and pace back and forth in the room, then that is what is happening right now. If it's not something you've ever wanted to see, then you don't need to go to Instagram and check that out. Today is going to be a great podcast. There's so many different things running through my head that I want to talk about right now because I've been getting a lot of messages. I think it's the end of the year. I think we all have a lot going on in our heads and we have a lot going on in our minds. And so we're looking for feedback. We're looking for an understanding of what it is that we're feeling, what it is that we're thinking, and and what it is that those thoughts and those feelings are going to ultimately lead to our actions and our results, right? We talk about this a lot uh, from Brooke Castillo's The Life Coaching School, which I am a member of. So as we start to think about our circumstances, our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions, and how those lead to our results, there have been a lot of messages I've gotten recently about the pressures of drinking and using drugs over the holiday season. And I absolutely get it because these can be emotional times, right? I mean, these can be emotional times. Uh, you know, there's no doubt some connections with the family that have brought about the sufferings that led us down the addiction path. And then there's also just the holidays and there's the get back together with people. And then there's the New Year's. And so many people put so much weight on the idea that New Year's is supposed to be the day to set the resolutions. Everything is supposed to change on this day. And so what we've discussed in the past, especially as we're getting back to basics, is the idea that the the month of December is really that time where you are ramping up the end of the year and you're passing on the baton to 2021, right? We've talked about this before. Just a quick refresher. If you are think picturing a four by 100 relay in the Olympics and you're the, you know, you're the runner and you're running and you're approaching the next runner and he starts to run too, because he needs to be at a, at a similar speed as you in order to take the baton and, and take off. So when this is happening, I want you to picture December, 2020, it's been running, it's been sprinting this whole time or dragging because let's face it, it's been a bit of a shitty year for some of us. And, and just, a you know, just a complete clusterfuck as far as any year could have possibly have gone, right? But you still want 2021 ready to go. And so it still needs to be getting its speed on. And so picture 2020 in December as that time where 2021 starts to ramp up and you start to think about what the next year is going to be for you. At the same time, whenever 2021 gets here, 2020 doesn't just stop on a dime. 2020, you know, it's, it sort of peters out. You know, if you picture that race I'm talking about in the Olympics, the runner who's handed off the baton doesn't just stop on a dime, right? It, he's, the, the year he or she is still has to sort of just slow it down. So I want you to picture that 2021 is already, it's already sprinting. It's ready for that baton. You can choose to pass that baton on now and start to make these changes in your life, these resolutions that you're thinking of, these, these, these things that you want to begin to achieve next year, you can start laying down the roots for them now. You don't have to wait till January 1st. 
Because then there's going to be so much pressure on that day that what inevitably happens is you have a new calendar, you've got, a, you know, all these new things are coming in. And this is why so many people, I believe, don't really stick with a resolution because they put so much pressure on that moment, that day, that ultimately they get to that day and, you know, maybe they don't want to quit sugar so much and maybe they don't want to give up drinking so much. And instead of just saying, oh, January 1st will be the day, you can do what I did. And I told myself I'd stop drinking well, for Super Bowl, uh, the day after the Super Bowl in 2017, and my body said, no, you're going to stop now. And so my mind got on board, and I got sober on January 13th of 2017, right? I don't know if I would have been able to stick with the sobriety had I waited till after the Super Bowl. I know how I drink for Super Bowls. So therefore, I may have well been like, well, you know what? Let me just let me just peter it off for the next couple of days. I'll stop on Friday. And then Friday gets here, and who knows what I would have done. I know what I did do, and I just stopped. Again, body be damned, it was ready to rock. And I mean, and yes, that first Super Bowl was extremely tough. Shout out to Paul on my left and Ron on my ro- Ron on my left and Paul on my right, and it was the Patriots Falcons Super Bowl for being there with me and, and and coaching me on throughout the entire game as I really wanted to drink. And they were like, "No, dude, you got this." And I was like, "You're right, I got this, I got this." And this brings me to another idea. So, right, like you're, you're picturing the year and it's sprinting, right? So you don't have to wait for 2021 to start. You're already moving into the new you in 2021. And then this gets me thinking about goal setting. Now, I recently had one of my clients tell me that he has a problem with goal setting. Here's the thing. And I realized this during the conversation with him. That we don't have a problem with goal setting. We can all set goals. We have a problem with goal accomplishing. We have a problem with goal seeing it through. We have a problem with goals, the goals we set, maintaining the priority we placed upon them when we came up with them as goals in the first place. Goal setting isn't your problem. It's goal discipline and it's goal accomplishing. There are points in your life where you've set goals and you've hit them. And then there's other areas of your life where you set goals and then you've let it go away. You've let it fade. This is something I talked about in one of my lives the other day. If you are not willing to sacrifice for the goal, the goal will be the sacrifice. It is just the way that it goes. There will be something in your life you have to sacrifice. There will be some somewhere a friend or somewhere a location or somewhere a thing has to be sacrificed in, in order for you to be able to achieve the goal. And we put this humongous, humongous amount of pressure on ourselves finishing up a year to set down new ideas for who we're going to become in the next year. Right? We're finishing one, we're starting another, and we think, yes, I'm going to make all these immaculate changes. But why are we waiting to make an immaculate change on January 1st? Anyone out there who has a sobriety date other than January 1st still covets that sobriety date. I know a lot of people who have January 1st. In fact, I've recently gotten a message from one about whether, you know, and he's been tossing around the idea of stepping back into drinking, maybe dipping his toe back into it. If you've if you have quit on January 1st, more power to you because I personally think that that's one of the most difficult days to stop because of that external pressure society puts on you for making a massive change on 
January 1st, and from the pressure you've put on yourself, more than likely counting down to that day while you're shoving all the booze or shoving all the food in your mouth. So, again, whether it's January 1st or any one of the other 365 days that in any given year, and I get it, it's usually only 364 plus January 1st, but let's just go ahead and not ignore February 29th. That poor day already gets ignored three years out of four. So there's 366 total days every, you know, at any given year that you would have an opportunity to quit. Any one of those days can be important. Any one of those days can be important. Uh, you know, there is, let me go to the notes, going to the show notes. So one of one of I'll just I'll just say MR. You know you're out there. You hit me up on Instagram today. We started to chat. I told you I was going to do a, a talk about this on the episode 96. So you're checking it out. You're hearing me say MR. You know I'm getting ready to talk about you. Like I said in the message I sent to you, why would you want to go back? What are you holding on to? Okay. And when I go over and I look at the message that you sent back. You said, you know, you're not so serious about going back. You're just exer- observing and exploring your thoughts and under this veil of curiosity and thinking, well, you're done with your one-year goal without another time goal to focus on, right? And so one, I mean, I totally get goals, right? You said, I'm going to be sober for a year. I told myself I was going to lose 15 pounds and gain five pounds of muscle before my family vacation. Like I've done that before. I totally get the idea of, hey, I got this year. Let's knock this year out right? If you desire to set another time goal, you can, right? That, so that, I mean, you know, if we go back to what we talked about before, circumstances trigger thoughts, thoughts cause feelings, feelings drive actions to results. The circumstance is just that, you, that the year is finishing. The circumstance is that you're finishing one year of sobriety and recovery. Now your thought about that decides what you feel about that. If you decide to feel, if you decide your thought is of accomplishment, so therefore that feeling is of confidence and happiness, you can go another year and you could do it with your eyes closed. If the thought you're having around the one year is like, well, well that was cool. I proved to myself that I can do it. Um, you know, maybe I can prove to myself that I can drink responsibly for a year. Then that will be ultimately what you're, then you'll be feeling like, okay. All right, you know, maybe you'll even be feeling confident about that. Actions will drive you to drink, and then who knows where that goes, right? It's, and this is what I, you know, and you even put in here that you think you just need to resolve to stay focused on all the other things which help you to stay on track. I say this to everybody. Stay focused on the other areas of your life that are working and stay on track. Why would anyone want to go back? And so in this Instagram message I sent to MR, um, this Pearl Jam song came on today. I was listening to it on the way into work this morning and the song Wasted and there's a really cool reprise of it. So if you want to go listen to what I'm talking about, type in Wasted Reprise Pearl Jam into Spotify or whatever player you normally listen to music on. And the lyrics go, I have faced it, a life wasted. I'm never going back again. Having tasted a life wasted, I'm never going back again. I escaped it, a life wasted. I'm never going back again. Even just repeating those six sentences to you, I get I get these chills. I've got these chills. I don't know if you can see it on the camera or not, but I'm telling you, it's all these little bumps. And that's, I mean, 
I don't. I, I I've heard the rock and roll. A life wasted. A life wasted. I'm never going back again. Like I know the fast version of it. I had never heard the reprise version of it. And this morning it it struck me. I mean there was, it was a wasted reprise into the song Alive, into the song Baba O'Reilly, into Yellow Leadbetter, and it was just four songs just so perfectly put together, to. I guess just sum up how I feel about everything in a way, or my sobriety. I, I don't know. It's just like that that line, I'm never going back again into the song I'm Alive. And if you know the song Alive by Pearl Jam, then you know that you just know how deep his voice gets on that. And to Baba O'Reilly, which has got um, this, on oh, a teenage wasteland. And so I just love the idea of a teenage wasteland because I feel like that's where addiction takes so many of us is during this wasteland that we call our teenage years um, into Yellow Leadbetter, which is just a beautiful song in itself. And so I go into this whole Pearl Jam thing with you guys because I was thinking about MR this morning whenever these songs came on. And I just kept thinking, like, why would anyone want to go back? Why does this idea that we can manage this monster? When 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 did we ever get it into our heads that we can manage the beast? And this isn't just alcohol and drugs, guys. This is this 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 is food. This is sex. This is uh, gambling. This is our phones. I mean, I personally, honestly, I say this without any reservation. Every single human being on this planet is addicted to something. It is just a matter of you discovering what it is you're addicted to, and being willing to face that addiction head on. Right? You might, oh no, I'm not addicted to anything. I don't have a problem with substances. But then you then you find yourself with the constant automatic negative thoughts or the or the pessimistic tone, right? Or 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 the or the starting arguments with your loved ones for no reason, or the seeing the world negatively, or reading too much negative news and letting that damper your day. I mean, I know you think that these don't count as addictions. I and you might be thinking that as we speak, and as I'm pointing to the Instagram live, you might honestly be thinking, just those don't count as addictions, but any behavior that we do habitually that brings us about a negative outcome is, to me, a habit. And it becomes an addictive thing that we turn back to. Everyone thinks, oh, addiction, you've got to be in the gutter and you've got to lose your home. And you... What if you just lost your way in your life? What if any time you tried to smile, an automatic negative thought came in and said, you don't get to smile. You get to look at things pessimistically. And you're not looking at it pessimistically enough right now. So I want you to get on Facebook. I want you to get on Instagram. I want you to see how much better other people's lives are. I want you to read some political stuff so that you can get pissed off about that. I want you to walk around angry about life. If you consistently find yourself in this loop, you are, you are living an addictive behavior. See, again, there's so many things going through my head right now. You know, and MR started off some of them. Um, I put cognitive dissonance in here. We might get to that a little bit later. Um, in fact, I don't know if I necessarily remember why I put that in here. The state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially as relating to behavioral decisions and attitude change. I think... So it says cognitive dissonance... 
occurs when a person holds contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values and is typically experienced as psychological stress when they participate in an action that goes against one or more of your beliefs, ideas, or values, right? And so imagine if you are wanting to quit using alcohol and drugs, but then you end up finding yourself involved in that. I could have sworn I I heard this last night on the TV show Next, and it was something about... If you want to believe something, then you will consistently find reasons to allow you to believe it. Now, I thought that was confirmation bias. But according to this, a state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes relating to behavioral decisions, right? So if you are wanting to quit drinking, yet you continue to drink, then you would be looking at cognitive dissonance. You would have, in NLP, we call it parts integration. You would, ha- you would have these two different parts in you that are that, that, that almost like different personalities where one is like, no, man, I'm good. I don't need to drink. I, I want to have a better life. And the other one's like, yeah, but we can have a better life and drink, right? It's like you have these two different personalities living inside of you. We ultimately want to be able to find ourselves in a position where we realize that the life is better on the other side, not using, not abusing. I, for the life of me, cannot understand what would have led me for so long to be thinking that I could control the beast. And so this leads me into another NLP term that is secondary gain. Now, if you go Google the idea of second gain. There's like if in psychology, there's morbid primary gain and there's morbid secondary gain. We're not going to deal with the psychology aspect of that. I even put that in the show notes as if I was possibly going to be able to cover that in this episode. I just want to deal with what we discuss in NLP as secondary gain. Secondary gain in neurolinguistic programming is when there is more value in having the problem than there is in going forward with the solution, right? So a secondary gain is where an apparently negative or problematic behavior actually provides a positive or beneficial end result in some way. A secondary gain makes the problematic or unwanted behavior more likely to continue unless specifically addressed. Um, I love traditional therapy. I've got a therapy appointment in 40 minutes. It's super awesome. I, I love Melissa. At the same time, therapy can often be like this meandering around a brand new city looking for amazing landmarks. With NLP, we just take you directly to the landmark. If it's a beautiful waterfall, if it's the Champs-Élysées, if, if it's the Eiffel Tower, we're not going to be walking up and down streets hoping we come across one. Or even when we do get there, sort of meandering around what the real root of the problem was. NLP says, no, we can get directly to the root and we can begin to immediately start to help you change the way you're seeing it in your brain. Because everything about our reality, this collection that we call our identity, of our decisions, of our choices, of our values, our beliefs, our ideas. This is just an accumulation of all of our memories of what we've experienced in life. Right? We have chosen to see our reality from the past in one way. What if there was a more beneficial way to see it now? What if there was a way to go back and say and look at it and say, okay, there was actually a really important lesson here that I missed. And if I were to take this lesson and I were to internalize that lesson rather than the trauma, then I would actually come out on the other side of awesome with this. 
And I get for some people who've had some seriously horrible, horrible traumas, you might be thinking, how can I possibly see a rape or a molestation or a beating, thrashing from a drunk parent my entire childhood? How can I possibly see that in a brighter light? Without getting on a phone call with you and without actually being able to to discuss what it is that you experience and to be able to explain it, being able to do it in this sort of roundabout way on a podcast might seem a little impersonal. But the bottom line is, is that Everyone chooses to see their different traumas the way they've chosen to see them. And it's neither right nor wrong. It might be less beneficial if you're seeing it as a horrible life experience rather than turning it into a way of, of, of building strength from it. You can use it as your crutch. You can use it as your, you know, your spinach, like your Popeye. And you can use that for a positive outcome. Right, so secondary gain by a child might be throwing a temper tantrum in the grocery store because they want a candy bar when all they really want is the parent's attention. But the parent never gives them attention unless they're acting up. So then they'll act up, even if that means a, a spanking is coming, or even if that means they get yelled at, because at least negative attention is better than no attention. Someone who's extremely depressed and goes around and tells everybody they're always depressed and that they're always sad might not want to get out of that depressive state because when they're going around and they're, they're being the Eeyore of the, of the group, they can go around and tell, well, you know, oh, Pooh, everything was so bad and I'm always so sad. And then Pooh and Tigger and Piglet and everyone runs up and gives Eeyore big hugs and loves on Eeyore. And so Eeyore feels love. So why would Eeyore ever want to stop being depressed if by being depressed and walking around and telling everybody that he's depressed gets him love, right? That's the secondary gain. A secondary gain to the drinking might be when you're a drunk, you think that the only time you're funny or attractive or a good dancer is when you're drunk. So you got to be drunk in order to be a good dancer and be funny and be the life of the party. And you don't want to not be those things, even if that causes the hangover next day to be worse. So your secondary gain for consuming alcohol ends up being the popularity you believe comes from you being intoxicated. So then if you stop being intoxicated, you lose the popularity. This is the rationale you have in your head. So why would you ever want to stop being the the fun drunk if by becoming the boring sober person, you lose the street cred you've built up within your social circle? I can sit here and I can rattle off 87 more different examples, but I think we've got secondary gain now. You know, if you're, if your secondary gain for the horrible hangover is that, you know, your loved one or someone in your house brings you soup and rubs your feet and loves on you and says, don't worry, I'll call in sick for you. And you get to stay in bed all day and get pampered. I, I don't know who gets that kind of treatment when they're hungover, but <laughs> I'm just making up another hypothetical here. Why would you want to stop getting intoxicated? Because then there'd be no more hangovers and there'd be no more of the pampering. You can see the secondary gain when it comes to weight loss. The secondary gain, you know, for some people, they literally don't want to be seen, right? That's some trauma that happened to them in their childhood. So they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be noticed. So they want to carry around that extra 10, 15, 20, whatever. If they lose the weight, they think, "Uh uh-oh, now I'm going to be pretty, or now I'm going to be handsome, and now I'm going to start attracting more attention, and I don't want to attract attention. The secondary gain to staying at their current weight is that they get to continue to be a wallflower. 
And that's what they're looking for. They, they don't want to be noticed. A secondary gain for smoking a cigarette might be that you get to interact in a social group of smokers. All of a sudden you feel like, oh, I got a bond. I got my smoker tribe. So I don't want to lose that smoker tribe. I quit smoking. I'm not going to have a smoker tribe anymore. And I like those people. This is what happens with the bar scene too. Binge drinking with all the bar flies for years, and then all of a sudden you decide to stop. Think they're, they're necessarily going to be doing backflips when you roll in there, not wanting to drink your sorrows away, not looking up through the bottom of a bottle? No. No, they don't want to see you not drinking because then they have to question their drinking. All right? So then you're going to be ostracized from the group. So we have covered a lot of different topics today. And I want to, so I'll work backwards to back to the beginning. Secondary gain was really what this episode was supposed to be about. Because I think a lot of us, when we go to make changes, ultimately, not only are we making these decisions on the changes we want to make in our lives now based on who we are and not based on the person we'll be in the future when we do stop or when we do make this change, right? So we're already showing up in in its own way a bit with a limiting belief and a limiting mindset around what we can accomplish because we're deciding what we can accomplish based on who we are as this version of ourselves. If we went forward a year after you had two years of sobriety MR or after you had you know, one year of making six figures in your business or after you had one year of being a good parent, right? then you'd be making decisions about your goals based on that one year of being a good parent or that one year of having a good business or that two years that you've just put into your sobriety and recovery. But right now we're making decisions based off this version of ourselves we are now. And I know you guys have heard about the idea that you that you want to go ahead and put yourself into the position of who you'll be in a year when you're sober or who you'll be in a year when you've been a great parent or who you'll be in a year when you've had a successful business. And then ask yourself, what decisions would you make then? What kind of thoughts would you have as this successful person? What kind of feelings would these thoughts bring to you? What kind of actions would you be making then as a person who has one year of success under their belt? What kind of behaviors, what kind of results will you get from making these actions, from these positive feelings, from these positive thoughts that come from one year in of success? Now, in theory, that sounds great, right? Of course, I mean, yeah, all right. I'll I'll, I'll imagine I'm a Super Bowl champion and I'll just start to play like a Super Bowl champion. But it's those little voices in the back of your head that start questioning whether you're really good enough, whether you can really accomplish this, whether you should really push yourself. Right, And then when that little voice starts to chip, 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 chip away at who we ultimately want to become, then that secondary gain starts to creep in. That secondary gain starts saying, well, look, man, I mean, you're pretty comfortable with the way you got it, right? I mean, you know, when when you spend all your money on alcohol and drugs, you know, you go over to your parents' house and they feed you and they love on you and they show care and concern. So you really want to lose that? I mean, if life were going great, they wouldn't want to feed you. They wouldn't want to give you that care and concern, which is probably hogwash because if they're giving it to you at that state when you're hungover and they're not thrilled with your behavior, imagine how much happier they'll be when you come over with a year of success, right? You step out of that depressive state where you're the Eeyore because you know the secondary gain is going to be that people are going to fawn all over you. They're going to give you attention, that care, that love, that concern. 
right? You stop spinning in your head, you know, and in NLP, one of the, one of the, I will never forget when I was told this by one of my instructors that you want the number one way out of depression is to stop thinking about yourself spiraling in your head, get out of your head and go do something of service for somebody else. Because it's in that act of service that you get that positive feeling. It's in now, mind you, and I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. There are people who have medical, you know, hormonal things going on inside their head. If you're one of those people and you need to be on the anti-anxiety, anti-depressant drugs, I am not a doctor. I am not telling you that is not true. I am telling you as somebody who's worked with thousands of people that when you step outside of the spiraling you do inside of your head that is causing the depression, anxiety and fear are future-paced and then like shame and guilt are past-based. And so when you're spiraling about shame and guilt, you're, you're reliving the past. And if you're constantly living in the future, you're overwhelmed by anxiety. You're overwhelmed by, by this fear. I think you can have depression about what's happened in the past. And then you push that and you visualize that forward into what you think the future will be based off of what your past has been. Without thinking about how you can start to make changes right now that will actually deviate you from the path that you have been walking all of this time. In one of the episodes I did a while back ago, uncomfortably comfortable versus comfortably uncomfortable. Right? You can be uncomfortably comfortable in your addiction. Where you're like you're uncomfortable and you call it your comfort zone, but you're really uncomfortably in your comfort zone. You don't want it anymore. You wish it would be over with. But yet you think, oh, well, you know, I, well, I'm already on this way. And I know that if I do this, 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 and this, in this certain order, I'll get to the next day. And that's all I want to do, Jesse, is I just want to get to the next day. Versus being comfortably uncomfortable, being in your uncomfort zone all the time. My identity is wrapped around the idea of creation, around learning. I believe the meaning of life is to learn and grow. My highest values are freedom, creative control, creative expression, and learning. So many of the things that I do in my life all end up going back to that same idea. Am I learning? Am I growing? So what is it you're valuing? What is it you're tying your identity to? What are you prioritizing? Right, as we work our way backwards to the beginning, if you do not make the goal a priority, then the goal, if you are not willing to sacrifice for your goals, then the goal becomes a sacrifice. If you do not prioritize your goal, and this doesn't mean five hours every day. If the idea is just to be a little bit healthier, that could literally mean just drinking an extra glass of water, eating one less cookie, taking a five-minute walk. It can be so many different things. Don't get it stuck in your head that the only way to be healthy is if you go to the gym for an hour and a half and you pump iron that, you know, look at me, I'm strong, right? Or if it means that you drink three gallons of water or if it means that you quit sugar altogether. Like this society we've, we've been raised in is this all or nothing. You know, oh, oh, you walked five minutes today? Well, I walked 50 minutes today. I'm better than you. No, that does not mean that. It merely means they did something different than you today. The only thing I can be certain about is my decisions, about what I'll think, about what's happening around me. When we look back at 2020, there was a lot of uncertainty. And because of all of this uncertainty, many people got stuck. That is possible for you to 
start to see it that you weren't stuck, you were just standing still. When I got sober, what I wanted back more than anything else was my passion for life, my talents, my skills, my hobbies to come back, to start being what they were before. Important. Something that got me up, that got me energized. I think I was talking about values, and, you know, and how learning and being a person of creation, how important that is to me. What's important to you? It can be anything. It really can be. Whatever you want to be important to you can be important to you. You just have to be willing to sacrifice to make sure that it keeps going forward. Five minutes or 50 minutes, whatever works for you. Whatever means to you that you're moving forward. And you don't let other people's behaviors or what other people think about what you're doing affect how you see what you're doing. I'll go back to that, that iTunes comment that that one, that one person left that called me OCD. I've never been diagnosed as OCD. I do have patterns and sequences for a lot of things. When my mom got sick in 1984, I had, to, I had to try to control the chaos around me. So I started to come up with patterns and sequences for a lot of my behaviors just so I wouldn't have to worry about them or stress about how I might react if her, if her colostomy bag broke and all of a sudden we needed to start rapidly cleaning up poop coming out of a plastic bag glued to her side. So I just started, I, I came up with whole patterns and sequences for how to help her clean that up. And that just moved into other areas of my life. I don't necessarily think that that makes me special because I know a lot of people who have patterns and sequences for a lot of different aspects of their lives. I can trace mine and my ability to create them as efficiently as I do. I can trace that back to the summer of 84 when she got out of the hospital. But again, you've got them too. The mind is a meaning-making machine. The human, human beings... We make meaning where there is none. We are always looking for meaning. That's why back in the day, they came up with with whole stories about constellations because they had nothing else to do but stare at the stars for millennia on. (laughs) So, of course, they found patterns in the stars and they came up with stories about the stars because there was nothing to do but look at the stars. We had to come up with meaning for what was happening above us. We had to come up with the meaning of life or why we're here, you know, why the the eclipses happen, had to have a meaning for that. Why does snow happen, had to have a meaning for that. Why is the tree blowing the wind, had to have a meaning for that. So we're just, and we're still that version of human beings where we're constantly coming up with meanings for things. And in often cases, we're not attaching the right meaning to things that are happening in our lives. This is where that self-awareness comes from. This is where that ability to check yourself and say, okay, am I happy with my identity right now? My collection of values, beliefs, thoughts, decisions, actions, results, that's your identity, right? I, I was listening to a Brooke Castillo episode today, and she said that identity to her is what is true for you no matter what is happening in your life. This isn't something to discover. It's something to define and create within yourself. If it's true, no matter what's happening in life, that becomes your identity. You know what comes to mind when I think about identity? Negan versus Rick from The Walking Dead. 
Negan was a former used car salesman. Rick was a sheriff. The apocalypse went down. One wrapped a baseball bat in barbed wire and went around and whipped people's asses who didn't call themselves Negan and bow down on one knee to him. Rick runs around trying to save civilization and collecting up a bunch of misfits and turning them into his family and goes around and he's trying to find someplace safe for everyone. He's trying to do the best he can with the resources he has. Sometimes his decisions are misguided. Sometimes he goes into a community that was perfectly fine before he got there and screws it all up like he did with the governor. I mean, the guy's a little wackadoo, sure, and he was locking his, you know, his zombie daughter in a closet, and they were using zombies to fight for entertainment. But they were pretty much secure, and they were doing just fine. Everyone seemed like they were pretty okay with it. Now, this new girl that they've got with the hat and the just recently lopped off finger, she's mean about it. Negan was mean about it. Negan always had that want inside of him to walk around with a barbed wire baseball bat named Lucille and whip people's asses, right? His identity, what was true for him, no matter what is happening. He may have been a nice dude back in his car salesman days, but as soon as he saw an opening to walk around and torment, he took it. Whereas Rick, the way they portray him in the show, was always caring and kind and giving, and he wanted to keep people safe, and he wanted to, to protect his family. When the zombie apocalypse went down, he continued on with that behavior. He could always identify as someone who was loving or kind, empathetic. Whereas Negan always had this evil in him. He was just waiting for an opportunity to show it. So if you walk around telling people that you're kind, are you only kind whenever it suits you? Are you kind all of the time? One of my highest values is learning. I identify as somebody who's constantly learning. No matter what is going on, I am looking to learn. Even when I'm in an argument with a a loved one, I'm still looking to learn how to not get into an argument in the future, how to better communicate in the future. I can honestly say that, that my value of learning is a part of my identity because no matter where I'm at and what situation I'm in, I am looking to learn. Going back to that iTunes comment when the guy said that I was OCD, I would never been diagnosed with that. Sure, I might say some things that would lead people to believe that that, that ability is inside of me. I don't necessarily think that OCD is necessarily negative unless, again, like any addiction, it, what you habituate, if you habituated your OCD-ness and it starts to have negative impacts on your life, yet you continue to do it, now we're starting to look at addictive behavior. For me, I just like having systems. I like having processes for doing things. And I like accomplishing stuff. I like to set goals. I like to have discipline around my goals. And I love to accomplish things. I love to be able to say, yep, I finished that. As I near 100 episodes of this podcast, and as I come up on four years, My goal when I started this show was to do it every single week for the rest of my life. (laughs) I know it sounds crazy. And down the line, you know, once I'm at 300, maybe I start to separate them up every two weeks. I don't know. I will always do this podcast. It will always be something that is a part of my life. I will never get tired of discussing sobriety and recovery. 
from sobriety to recovery as a podcast has something that matters to me in life. My life will exist until I no longer exist. It can morph. It could change. You might be listening to this now. I might be on episode 677 by that point, and it only comes out once a month. I don't know. But there will be, in one way or another, this podcast will exist in perpetuity. That doesn't make my addiction recovery any easier just because I am looking to to do that. And I set that out as a goal and I'm willing to put discipline into it, but I don't know what's going to happen in two or four years. Somebody might say, hey dude, we're going to send you to Africa so you can do awesome stuff in Africa, but you're not going to have any access to the internet and you're not going to be able to do a podcast. I'll like, okay, well, I mean, I'll figure that out. But I set the goal down to continue to do this podcast for as long as I know it's beneficial to everybody. It is the discipline that sees that to accomplishment. And whenever there's no end in sight, then it's almost like what MR was saying. Well, I had that one year goal and now I'm not looking for, you know, now I've accomplished it. Now what's my next time goal? This is why we do the one day at a time thing because we don't want to be, oh my God, I got to be sober for the next 60 years. I don't have to think about doing this podcast for the next 60 years. I just have to do it this week and next week and the next. I definitely know I can keep this thing going for at least another handful of years until I start to question (laughs) my sanity. My point going back is that when that person wrote that I was OCD and and he, he said, not all of us have awesome jobs to go back to or not all of us have podcasts or books to write or whatever the dude said, my my thought back to any one of you who might think the same thing, why don't you have that? Why aren't you trying to write a book? Why aren't you writing an essay? Why aren't you posting cool stuff on social media? Why aren't you launching a podcast? Why aren't you starting a business or a side hustle? Why aren't you getting a jump rope and doing that for five minutes a day and letting that build upon a new way of life? Yes, I have curiosity, which leads to interest, which leads to passions and to purposes. Yes, I am fully aware that I am interested in everything. I had a podcast called Everything's Interesting. I love talking about everything. I like to learn about everything. I'm just genuinely interested. It's blessed. It's the best thing. I To me, it's the coolest thing about me. To me, it's the thing I love the most about myself is that I find everything interesting, that I like to learn all the time. What is it about yourself that you love that you want to start accentuating? MR, I would not be putting a timetable down on my sobriety and recovery. So you said you wanted a year. Make it another. Make it another after that and another after that. And look, we all want to dip our toes into the idea of, oh, what would life be like if I tried to go back to the demon? (laughs) You think I haven't thought of that? But I played through to the credits, and I know. I might have ridden that. I, I might on a wild chance, be able to jump back on that bull in the last eight seconds. But if I try to make a career out of it again, I know that bull will throw me off, kick me in the face, stomp me in the chest, and that's where I'll die, in the middle of the ring with the bull dancing on my soul. If you guys have ever watched a rodeo, those guys are trying to stay on that bull for eight seconds. Sometimes it's smooth as silk. Other times it is insanely violent. I am not willing to play Russian roulette with my life in hopes that the bull 
you know, gently bounces me off of his butt. I land on my feet. I wave at the crowd and they hand me the awesome belt buckle. I am not willing. I am not willing to spin that bottle, hoping that it doesn't land on bull crushes my skull. I am not even remotely interested in playing that game again. I'll leave you all on this. Besides the fact that you should totally go check out Pearl Jam's Wasted Reprise, I have faced it, a life wasted. I'm never going back again. Having tasted a life wasted, I'm never going back again. I escaped it. You escaped it. A life wasted. We are never going back again. Everything you want in life is on the other side of deciding that nothing else is more important than that. This year, I did run myself ragged. I pushed myself hard. Not because I'm a recovering addict who was looking to fill my time up with a bunch of shit so that I wouldn't have to think about how much I wanted to drink or do drugs. Because honest to God, aside from the occasional you know, random daydream or the or the or the craving dream or you know just watching somebody else pour a poured beer in their mouth or you know watching a movie where they're doing drugs and I like to you know you know I might go back into a time in my life where I've you know romanticized that particular memory as something I remember doing there I I just I just don't drink anymore and I don't do drugs and it is just the way that it is I It's just done. It's done. Recently, I had a conversation with one of my peers. I was telling him, I was like, you know, honestly, sobriety is pretty simple. Sobriety is simple. Stop drinking. Stop using. Stop overeating. Stop overgambling. Stop whatever the behavior is. That's... That's where the sobriety from that behavior starts. What we perceive as difficult is everything that comes after. The changes in our lives, the hormonal shifts, the the brain trying to even itself out, the physical dilapidation our bodies falling in and, and trying to put itself back together, the emotional suffering that we've gone through and the pushing and the burying down of feelings and then all of a sudden finding that the, there's nothing to mute those feelings anymore so now they're flooding to the surface or we have pushed them down so much that we're struggling to pull them out to heal them and we can't even locate them anymore. Our spiritual... Um, our spiritual journey, the moral, the ethic, the values that we're supposed to be primary in our lives, moving us forward to the best version of ourselves, those were muted or even destroyed during addiction. Getting those things back, that's where we start to perceive the difficulty. NLP is all about understanding the languages we use in our minds. So when you say it's difficult, you will see it as difficult. I prefer the word challenge, and I've even I've, I've even starting to hear from around the way that even using the word challenging isn't a good message to send to your brain. But at some point, I don't want to sit here and start trying to bullshit myself. Like, look, some things are challenging. Go 
lift 100 pounds, if you've never lifted 100 pounds, it's a challenge. doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means it's a challenge. I'm okay with calling things challenges. I don't want to call it difficult anymore. I don't want to tell myself something's difficult because difficulty is based on perception. What is difficult for me or what I perceive as difficult, somebody else might think is easy. So if they can see it as easy and it can actually be easy for them, then that means with enough time and enough focus and enough prioritization on it, I too could find it just as easy. Now, if you want to get all crazy with the hypotheticals, of course, I couldn't go off and be Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Drew Brees or Peyton Manning. I'm you know, a dude who's never played organized football in my life. So if I'm like, well, okay, you said if I prioritize it, I could be just as good as any one of those guys. Okay, yeah, you got the next 25 years of your life. Even if you're 40, you want to go out and throw a football for five hours a day every single day for the next 25 years? You're probably pretty damn good at throwing a football after all that. You've missed your boat as far as being in the NFL, but you'll be a lot better than you are today. So let's just keep this to more rational thoughts. What is it you're looking to accomplish? If you think it's impossible, then it will be. If you think that it's hard or difficult, then that's how your mind will will see it. It's that cognitive dissonance, that state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes as relating to behavioral decisions. So if you decide that if you want it, it's like you decide you want to make this massive change in your life, and so you want to set this goal, but then there's that cognitive dissonance in the back of your head that says this is super difficult, this is super difficult. So if if there's a day when it's easy, you're like, then I must not be doing it right. I must not be doing sobriety and recovery right because today was just so damn good. Oh my goodness, today isn't supposed. There should be no happy days in, in addiction recovery. Every day should be difficult. Every day should be white knuckling it. Every day should be horrible, and I should wish it was already over. So because today was easy and fun, clearly I am not doing sobriety and addiction recovery the right way. <laughs> I hope you're laughing it out asinine any of that would sound if you were really thinking it. As I'm about six minutes away from my therapy appointment, I'm going to wrap up on this. I went 52 minutes. I've been getting some great messages from everyone saying that you listen to the episode sort of in spurts, you know, as it comes and goes. So I'm like, you know, these last couple to finish up the year, I'm just going to let it be what it be. If you're like me, I'll stop a podcast halfway through and go back to it whenever I back in my car. I do it with audible books. I don't listen to those things all the way through. Right, So I'm like, you know what? These last couple getting us into it. Next week, the episode will not come out till Wednesday again because I'm going to go on a little trip, going to Zion next weekend, or this weekend. And that's going to be super awesome. I'm very much looking forward to going up there and seeing the sights and, and going up there with my girlfriend and, and uh, her son's in town. And so that's super sweet. And so we're going to go just adventure off into the Zionic sphere, and just really unplug. I didn't have a chance to talk about this in this episode, but there is something I will bring up in the next one um, that me and Tom, who's been on the show before, Tom Rigsby, the business life coach of my friend of mine, my brother's father-in-law, in fact, in Alabama, and he calls it op tempo, operational tempo. And he says that you cannot, it's a military term, you cannot maintain operational tempo like for a prolonged amount of time. You just cannot keep up a go, 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 go tempo. And next week I'll go over the things that I've accomplished and 
the things that I'm looking to accomplish next year, and we can start to discuss how we can, you know, really begin to goal discipline and goal accomplish, not just goal set. And I'm noticing I'm extremely tired. I feel very tired. And I think my brain is just wore out. And so I have noticed over the last couple of weeks, I've started to clear my schedule. I've started to clear out my, my life and clear out my brain in preparation for putting together the, the, the addiction recovery program I've been talking about for so long, but also to just give myself some breathing room. And so I know I'm Mr. Let's achieve, let's achieve, let's achieve. But I also want to have a conversation with you all next week about knowing when to slow down and knowing that it's okay to slow down and not being so worried all the time that you're not achieving. This is something I work on. I always feel like I need to be achieving. And now I'm talking directly into the IGTV camera. I feel like there's a part of me that just wants to be achieving, achieve, 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 achieve. Do something, do something. What do you mean sit on the couch and watch movies all day? I can't even imagine that. Maybe read a book. Maybe just take a nap. Like actually lay in my bed and take a nap in the middle of the day. I have a very firm rule. Only take naps sitting in office chair (laughs) for 20 minutes at a time. So next week, we're going to talk about operational tempo and knowing that there is a time and a place to just level it down a little bit. It is something that I have not put a lot of energy into. The funny, I'm getting ready to say it's something I've not put a lot of energy into slowing down. When In fact, the idea of slowing down would be to remove the energy from that. But it's something in 2021 I want to start putting some more attention to as well as reaching out to all of my my friends and family and loved ones and continuing to grow my bonds with them. But we'll talk more about goals and everything next week. For now, thank you so much, everybody, who's joined me uh, on IGTV. And uh, for those of you who are just listening to the podcast, if you want to go, and it will be, I don't know the name of the, of the episode yet. That will come to me as I'm editing it. But it's definitely going to be episode 96 is what I will make sure that it's titled in my IG Live. So if you've ever, I mean, honestly, you probably watch it for five minutes and be bored of it, but it's just me pacing back and forth in my office. But either way, uh, we've covered some great topics today. We've discussed um, cognitive dissonance. We've discussed identity. We've discussed the ability to uh, ask yourself, why would you want to go back to drinking? What are you holding on to? We've discussed your circumstances uh, being related to your thoughts and then your feelings and then your actions and your results. Uh, We've discussed how your reality is really just an accumulation of your choices, your beliefs, your behaviors, your actions, your attitudes. So you are in control of your thoughts. If you're not in control of anything else in life, always in control of your thoughts. We've discussed secondary gain and how you might be continuing down the path of a bad behavior simply because you get something positive back. Let's start to flip that and let's start looking for the positive behaviors and how you can still get and how you can get that same positive you get from the negative behavior, but now you can start getting that positive from the positive behavior. So much we've covered. I can't even imagine my ability to put this into the show notes accurately. Either way, I uh, will do my best and uh, you will take the notes. And please, um, when I go post something about this on Instagram here in the next 24 hours, go over there in the comments. Tell me what your biggest takeaway was of this episode and be amazing. Look, this two days before Christmas. Have an amazing Christmas. 
great Christmas Eve, spend time with the friends or the family or the loved ones or socially distance and see them on Zoom and open presents, whatever it looks like. Do not let the circumstances of there being a pandemic stop you from still doing what it is that you want. You might have to change the way that you do it, but if what you want is love and bond and, 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 and a caring relationship with those that you care about and love over this holiday season, you do not have to be in front of them to make that a reality. Don't see the problem. See the solution. Until next week, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. See you next week. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Holidays. Whatever makes you feel the least amount of offended, then happy that. (laughs) Take care. See you next week. Bye-bye.